And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. Today, we're going to be talking about the startup Santa. Uh, that is our title, but we are going to go into a lot more of that, and I'll share exactly what that means. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest, Brad Peterson, is visiting us from Boca, Florida. Is that correct? Near Boca, yeah. Not that, not that that's where you usually hang my hat, but that's where I am today. Yeah, uh, British Columbia is typically home, um, but we accept you here in, in the U.S. as well. So um, <laughs> love that you're calling in, in in the warmer, sunny state of Florida. I'll be there next next week, a little bit before my Columbia trip. So Man. I'm jealous and already kind of feel a little bit on vacation right now. But thanks for taking the time to get on the show. Um, I think you have an amazing history uh, that we need to get into a little bit and share with our guests. Um, I love to start the show just getting to know each other a little bit and um you know sharing who brad is with our audience um you know i don't think this is your first venture or your first startup um where where does your story begin well it's a long story and i don't want to be too long in that but um look i i i was just discussing with another colleague whether entrepreneurs are they born or are they made you know is it nature's a nurturer and as i reflect back on my life i actually default so i think it's more nurture uh, the nature, although um, I think you know there can be arguments for both. I don't think it's de- definitive one way or another. But you know, I grew up in a family of um, entrepreneurs, self-employed folks, people who were really free thinking, and so that's really the way that I knew how to be. Um, you know, my my father, you know, he wasn't an entrepreneur directly. He was a chiropractor, and he did that because his father and mother were chiropractors, and my great grandfather was the first chiropractor in Denmark, and. So he became a chiropractor because that's what Petersons were supposed to do. But he always had businesses on the side. He always had hustles. He had things that he was working on and doing. And I just watched that and I was marveled. And I was always impressed by the fact that he was constantly pushing the possibilities for doing that. So, you know, um, at an early age- What were a couple of those? Yeah. So we owned a stereo shop. Um, Before the Best Buys of the World came in, there was these- specialty stereo stores that uh, had like high end, you know, like Harman Kardon. And at the time Pioneer was making these, you know, that was the first flat screen TVs yeah. ever, like 30 grand each, you know, so things that were like high end audio. And then uh, he got involved in a bunch of network marketing opportunities as well. I think as, you know, chiropractor, he was, you know, looking at, you know, vitamins and supplements and opportunities with that. So, but he always had some kind of hustle going on. And, and again, I was just inspired by, how he lived his life and exposed to it at really an early age. Yeah, you didn't have to just choose one thing. I think that's something that, um, you know, I have a lot of curiosities, a lot of passions uh, across different things. I do feel like you need to become an expert or really good at something. Um, but you, what's to say you can't be really good at a lot of things or pretty good at other things? 
um, and still be successful. I, I love that. And I think a lot of times you hear just like, pick that thing and go in on that. Everything else is a distraction. I tend to disagree. Um, my dad was somewhat the same. Um, I like, look, there's sometimes where I need patience and the best way for me to be patient is to go work on something else, mm. uh, versus just, you know, sitting and waiting. So, um, you know, when you, something else needs to, needs to bake a little bit, or you're, you're waiting on something to happen in that business kind of steady as she goes, or I'm frustrated, I hit a roadblock. I love those. I love those. If you call them side hustles or serial entrepreneur or whatever you want to be. Um, okay. So we talked about dad. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Okay. So, um, you know, I was, <clears throat> Again, at an early age, I was a bit of a mischievous kid, got into trouble. I, I remember getting the strap three times in grade school. I mean, that's when they did that thing. Um, and that, it wasn't kind of bad trouble. It was just like I was pushing the boundaries and possibilities and, you know, usually get myself into a place where they felt like they need to punish me for that. Um, I can't remember how many lines I've actually written on the chalkboard, but it would be very, very many if I had to catalog them all. So, um, but part of that was just constantly looking about what else is out there and how far can I push things? And so, and I found that I started to do entrepreneurial things. Like I would sneak into golf courses after hours with my snorkeling gear and dive into the ponds and get all the golf balls that were laying at the bottom. I remember just seeing all these like little bumps everywhere. And uh, then I'd pack them into egg cartons and sell them for five bucks. And, you know, it was like, you know, cost of goods is zero, just your time and agency. Um, I started a woodcutting business. Uh, you know, my dad had like a truck, a chainsaw, a splitting mall. We lived um, and something we have called crown land, which is, you know, access to forests that are basically no one owns it. The government owns it and you can go and harvest the wood if you need it. So I was cutting down trees, bucking up the logs, splitting them, and then matching people's prices, but offering to stack it. So that little extra value add, um, which was really sweat equity for me, just, you know, had me super busy and I would hire my buddies from school and, you know, this is how I funded most of my adventures. So I was showing all these things kind of through my teen years. And then I did go to school to be a chiropractor. And, you know, while I was, um, in school, I read an article about a kid who had invented a toy. It was kind of this regs riches story. And it was a flying toy and I was very intrigued and fascinated with flight. So I ended up buying some, uh, getting them shipped to me in Canada. I played with them and I was like, wow, this thing is super cool. And then of course, you know, entrepreneurs, what they do, they think, well, how could I potentially sell this? How could I turn this into an opportunity? And uh, so I contacted them and fortunately for me, they were as naive about Canada as I was about toys. It was kind of like the perfect marriage of ignorance. And, uh, you know, suddenly I was in the, the toy business as a distributor and started off kind of as a carny selling these things at festivals and, you know, events and parks and, you know, like the slam, slam chop guy or slap chop or whatever, <laughs> sham wow <toy>? guy. <laughs> what, what was the toy that you started with? Yeah, it was, it was a cylinder. It was called the Xylo. It was a cylinder. You throw like a football. And it goes like 600 feet. It's like so incredible. This day, it's like if you take it out and throw it around, people are like, wow. It's just, it looks like it's defying, you know, physics by how far it flies. I could remember those footballs that kind of had like the, the, the long, you know, at the, the tail. And then yeah. it has them in my hand, it could just fly. Yeah, the Vortex football. Also a really cool toy. See, and this is what's cool about toys is we all remember those iconic toys that we were playing with as kids. And like, it's like, oh, that, you know, brought back memories. You can even remember the smells that were going on that, that morning if you got it for Christmas and it's, it's super cool. So um, that got me going into toy distribution, which eventually I scaled that into becoming the largest toy distributor of its kind in Canada. And, um, you know, we were winning awards and we became kind of the go-to solution for the Canadian market. 
Uh, there's something in Canada called the Profit 100, which are the fastest growing companies in Canada. And we were on that list for like five years in a row. And I was nominated for Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. And I just thought, oh, this wow. is amazing. I'm in my 20s and life is great. I was going to ask, like, what, you know, how old were you at that time? And did you finish chiropractor? Like, did you finish, you know, being a chiropractor? Like, what happened with that? Was it just like you found success and so you, you put that on pause? Yeah, look, I, 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 I took a year to try this out and it was primarily driven by the fact that my, my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, I'd met this beautiful young lady in uh, university and she had one more year of education and I was done my pre-chiropractic. I was supposed to go to school and finish it up, but she was like, I don't want to do a long distance relationship. So I decided to wait for a year and do some something on my own. So that's what kind of opened up the possibility here. There was suddenly some capacity in that, right? How so did, I- uh, Dad, you know, it being a generational thing, like how did dad pull out that? <laughs> I, well, I think they all thought, you know, oh, he'll just get over it. Like, you know, let him go. Girl. Yeah, you know, exactly. He'll get over it. He'll come back into his senses. So, um, yeah, did, did, did not happen. But, you know, so I was in my mid-20s when all this success was happening. And, you know, I was labeled as a wonder kid. And it was, uh, life was great. And then I, um, I went on a vacation in Mexico. Uh, it was uh, 2006. Went on a vacation in Mexico. Just finished a record year. Got back got a call from my CFO, who was my business partner at the time. And he said, we got a problem. I said, okay, let's hear about it. He says, that ERP that we uh, implemented this past year has been giving us junk data. Oh, and gosh. we thought we had profits, but actually we have losses and the losses are not just bad. They're real bad. And, um, you know, so I went from all of a sudden this company that was so much of my identity and, you know, cause we as entrepreneurs, we, 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 it's what we yeah. do is what we birth into the world, which is really not true. That's a broken, you know, sort of narrative about our value, but needs to say, I was shattered that suddenly my business went from, you know, being at the top to being in special loans. And, um, uh, we wrestled to try and fix that company over two years, putting it through a restructuring, which is a fancy word for bankruptcy. Um, and then ultimately bankrupted that company two years later because the underlying foundation was was broken. And, you know, even though we found new capital and investors, it was uh, it was a bridge too far. And all I can say is that at that time in my life, I had an incredible amount of shame because I had over a million dollars of friends and family money in that business. I yeah, I and, you know, Christmas was awkward. Um, and yeah, it it was a real, uh, real trying time. But now as I reflect back on it, at the time it sucked, but as I reflect back, I now talk about it my being my inconvenient blessing because it it was a forcing function of me to stop. And with that, I could have like, you know, my, my father used to say, you know, life is about failing and failing forward. Fail fast, fail often, fail cheap is what we hear. But if you get knocked down and fail, it's your choice whether you stay down and become a failure. You know, what is the purpose of your pain? there's going to be a better version of you on the other side of that. And so, you know, that inflection point in my life forced me to stop, recalculate, uh, and actually get cl clear on not what I wanted, but what I didn't want anymore. Like what are the things I didn't want anymore and the way my business had been Maybe and using not. that sort of reverse. I want to stop right there, Brad. I want to stop right there because you just, you just shared a lot. Number one, number one, I think, um, you know, we talk about failing forward. Maybe it's that's cliche, like, you know, fail forward, fail often. But like, I honestly, as someone that's failed a lot myself, and this, this episode is not about me, so I want to share that much, but I have mm -hmm. failed a lot um, from divorce to, uh, you know, business things to, to all types of things. Um, and I honestly get a little excited when I hear either people talking about their low or I see them going through a low, especially if I feel like it's someone that I, I know has the potential to bounce back, you know? 
They might not see it, but I do. Um, because I feel like there is a ton of growth if you get back up on the other side of that. You're just like a man that's built himself back up after failure is a man that like shouldn't be messed with, in my opinion, because his confidence is now not perfection. It's not built on perfection. It's built on his tenacity, his, his resilience, his ability um, to get back up. And that's not anything you can learn from a book. It's not anything you can learn from someone telling you like dad. It's something you got to just kind of, you just got to do it, you know? And I think, you know, in the pandemic, um, I'm in e-commerce and we were busy, 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 busy trying to, you know, help brands stay alive, succeed. But there was a big part of me that was like, well, businesses aren't signing up with us. There's a certain <laughs> amount of churn that I can't help from businesses like, you know, closing up or they're, they're getting rid of contractors or agencies first before they get rid of people, you know, closing their stores. Even if I'm crushing it, there's a chance that like, you know, I fail at this thing and, and, and I, I've been doing it now nine years. So maybe six years at the time of the pandemic. And it was a big, like, I don't want my identity to be tied to this. I think it's a lot of things that entrepreneurs really deal with is like, this might be the first, like real successful thing that I've done that the world can see and be proud of. And if it's gone, mm. who am I going to be? This is what has like shaped me as a person. And a lot mm. of things, like, um, the growth in this. So I just want to, hit a couple notes on those things that I think every founder, every entrepreneur listening to the podcast can, can kind of relate to is, is that you talked about shame and enough people don't talk about shame. It almost feels like it's more of a biblical word uh, or a mental health word than anything that's talked about in business or entrepreneurship, but um, it's crippling. It can be crippling. And um, especially when it involves, you know, friends and family. Um, I can't imagine, and I was thinking about just five years running of, you know, being one of the top 100 companies too. It wasn't just like you're running, you know, running under the radar. It was, you know, front and center. And, um, I know whatever you're going to share next is going to be big because I just know <laughs> it. I can feel a moment when I feel a moment, you know, and I'm like, that is just, um, you know, it's really big. So, okay. So Christmas is, is awkward. You're like, you know, you bankrupted the company, um, are you married at that time? Where are you at? Yeah. Yeah, I am married. Um, but first of all, I just want to thank you for sharing. I, I appreciate the vulnerability. Um, cause again, that is something that we're not really good at as humans. Um, we tend to like want to show that, you know, our biggest problem is that we compare ourselves and we always compare ourselves up, you know, we're always comparing our uh, back of stage with other people's front of stage. And that's really debilitating because everybody has a back of stage that's messy as well, right? When you look on social media, you're just seeing the very shiny, polished surface level stuff. Beneath that is a bunch of crap <laughs> and everybody is suffering as Buddha says at some level and you, you know, your suffering is different than mine, but, um, I think it's, it's important to point out that, um, failing is a part of succeeding. Um, in fact, we should rejoice in our failing and our suffering and our pain. We just have to have purpose to it. See, the, the point is, is that we're all going to experience pain. We're all going to experience some sort of struggles. And in fact, I would say to you, that's a necessary part of our humanity. Like there's a few things that we need as humans. We need, you know, we need to sleep, eat, water, shelter, companionship, but add to it struggling. Because without the struggles, we actually don't discover our possibilities. We don't push through it. Unfortunately, um, success is a sucky teacher. You don't learn from the easy things, the good things. Like they, they, that's not a great stopping and reflection moment in time. Typically it's when you get punched in the nose and you say, what just happened? And how did I end up in this situation? Then it's taking accountability for what you actually, uh, how you co-created the situation. 
and unpack the learnings and then choose again and choose, take those learnings to apply it to a better for future for yourself. Um, and that kind of just ties into what I chose to do. I, you know, I go bankrupt. Um, my identity is all attached to the business, which by the way, I think again is broken, you know, like one of the things I want to stress on is this, is that so much of, of who I was, and I'll speak from my own personal experience, was based on what I did. You know, the way my father showed love to me was is if I did hard things and I did them with excellence, that's how I got his approval. Like if it, was, yeah. if it wasn't hard, it didn't count in fact. That was just kind of like right at an early age baked into my ethos. Um, and so I know, you know, my coach says to me all the time, you know, the, the skilled hunter knows how to hunt. The master hunter knows how he's hunted. And so I know I'm hunted by the fact that I default to that belief system that if I'm not actually, you know, working hard to achieve excellence, it's actually not, doesn't even count. Um, and so, um, my, my, my journey got me to this point where my identity was based on, I did something really hard. I built this toy company from a place that was obscure in the middle of rural Canada to becoming the largest of its kind. And then that was all how it was validated. And then the other thing we validate ourselves is what we have. So it's not just what we do, but what we have. So we see, you know, the Instagram reels of people with their jets and their fancy cars and homes and all that. And that's, that's trying to uh, impress. And those things on their own are not bad, but they should be a byproduct and not the focus. In other words, what we should be focusing on is who do we become? Who do we need to become? How do we continue to develop the beingness? We're human beings, not human doings or human havings. It's who we need to become. That if we do that to the best of our ability, the doing and having will be byproducts, but not the focus. Because chasing the other two is like chasing rainbows and butterflies. You'll never achieve it. You'll get just far enough along to realize that you need more and more and more. And then you eventually um, just, you know, you go to your grave unhappy. <laughs> no, it's so true. And I've got some some mentors I really look up to in the e-commerce space. I've been doing this like going on 13 years in the Amazon space. So there's some OGs that I've met that are just, I mean, these are a couple hundred million dollar a year type of guys. And, um, you know, something I've learned from them the last few years just by being around them, observing them is, you know, I see them, um, I ask them what they care about most, what they're most passionate about, what they're doing, why they're there. You know, they come to these e-commerce, different e-commerce events. They don't need to be there for business. Like they're there volunteering. Uh, they don't call it volunteering, right? But you know, mm -hmm. they kind of are, right? And they do these meetups and these groups and they just share passions and support others. And I'm not saying every 200 million a year person is that, but there's some that I've seen that seem to be doing it right. And um, maybe they're driving a, a Buick or, you know, you, you've always wondered why you see those like wealthy people driving normal cars is, um, you know, they're just not, they, they want to prove to themselves probably over and over again, as much as they want to be safe from this and that and people picking on them for their wealth or whatever, right? There's this this element that I'm like, um, you know, my, me at 36, I want to learn before I get there, yeah. uh, you know, that it's about being and not, not doing or having and how can I figure that out before I'm 60, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. There's a, there's a, we can go down this rabbit hole real deep, but there's this thing called the, um, the hot car paradox. So we all want to get these really hot cars. And, uh, you know, in fact, I had a McLaren for a while and, you know, I thought it would make me happy. I found it. It didn't make me happy. Um, and the irony of it is that when I'm driving around, if people are impressed, 
they're impressed because they can imagine themselves driving that hot car. It's not because you're driving that hot car. <laughs> so you, you're trying to impress them, but quite frankly, they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves driving that car and they're in the same trap of <laughs> thinking that's going to make them happy, which they'll find out actually doesn't make them happy. <laughs> yeah. And anyone that's impressed by that is kind of a little bit of a red flag to, and who you want to be around or, you know, if you're trying to find mm. a wife, is that really the one you want? You know, right. Um, the one that's looking for the McLaren because someone else is going to have two McLarens, you know, that's it, whatever. Okay. So back on track, because I, I want to get, while this is good, I want to get, hmm. I want to get to your story and really talk about your book and, and what you're doing. Um, sure. so you're, you kind of fell flat you yep. know, and, and you're pulling yourself out of that. What did that look like? Yeah, look, it was uh, a time, you know, the best of times, the worst of times because, um, company was uh, about to go into bankruptcy. I knew that I couldn't save it. Um, I, again, I, I used um, anti-goals, like what is it I didn't want anymore? And using that, it became the basis of a new future that I could design. And I really encourage people because you ask people what they want, it's hard. It's just too much white space. It gets easier to clear on what you don't want. And from that, you can actually create a new business thesis in my experience. So basically what I didn't want anymore is I didn't want to be just focused on Canada. I didn't want to be distributing other people's products. I didn't want to have to carry a whole bunch of inventory in a warehouse. Um, you know, I didn't want to have to try and build brands from scratch, running a lot of media. I wanted to, you know, be able to use smarter ways to market. So all of those things became the formative foundation of a new company that I launched in 2009 called Tech for Kids. And that that business plan I put forward to the same investor group, by the way, who lost four million bucks. <laughs> my first venture. And I said, Hey, I need a million bucks. And I presented the plan. They were more motivated by recovering their initial investment, which is kind of strange because usually good money doesn't follow bad. Like they typically, once they've lost, they're out. But these guys said, we really want the 4 million back. So they gave me a million dollars more at 24% interest with a one-year term. So it was like, oh, personal guarantees on top of that. So you want to talk about laying in cold sweat in bed at night? That was my life for a while, for sure. And, uh, and then all that funded. And then two weeks later, the great recession happened. So literally it was like the world fell off a cliff. So it was the best of times because everybody in my industry stopped. And I actually have come to learn that whenever there's recession and uncertainty, that is a great time to build a business because it's, it's wide open. Like right now there's a moment of like a lot of uncertainty out there. And I'm telling you, there's never been a better time to actually lean in and actually make meaningful progress in your business than right now. Because when things are good, it's good for everyone. And it's very frothy and choppy and lots of people making lots of noise. And you know, I think that, um, I think Warren Buffett says that any turkey can fly in a tornado, right? It's when things are tough that you find out if you're actually a really skilled sailor or not. And um, so launch this something company. I, something I want to add to that is, because mm. I, I believe that, and I am definitely, I am, I've defied all the odds in regards to like being successful, my family legacy, you know, I'm the first get a college degree, not that that matters, but just like, I, I'm an exception across the board uh, sure. as an entrepreneur and I'm blessed, you know, I'm very nice. Blessed, but, I, but when you look at the stats, like shouldn't, shouldn't be successful. Um, but one thing I've always done is I think it's, I think it's that little wire in our heads, Brad, that is the do hard shit wire, like mm. do hard shit and it will matter. Yep. So when stuff gets like scary and hard, well, I've already been through a lot of shit. Like I, I grew up in the DRC. Like, I don't know if you know uh, much about Congo, but a, a tough place to be. Um, wow. I saw toughness as a kid, you know, just observing it and being like, wow, I'm blessed to be here. So I'm like, I've seen tough. Um, I've been through tough. I picked myself up off the ground. 
um, statistically, like I've defied the odds already. So what's another, you know, what's another, uh, you know, speed bump, so to speak, or hill to climb. And, um, looking at those opportunities, if you are someone that's the underdog, if you are someone that's like, you know, I'm not as big as these other agencies. I don't have as much marketing budget. I don't have this. I don't have that times like these that were in 20 and 20, 2023 or 2008, two comparable years to e-commerce growth, by the way, both this year and 2008 were the same hmm. commerce growth, specifically on Amazon 5%, I think. Um, this is when you can leapfrog a lot yeah. of competition. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I have the same courage I've had my whole life, so it doesn't really change in the hard times. It's like I didn't really have that cushion to be afraid of losing at hmm. the same time either. So it's like, you know, these really are times where um, if you're like, man, I've been looking for that opportunity. When things get hard, that is the opportunity that's going to come. And you can leapfrog um, quite a bit of competition. And if you end up on the other side, wow. You know, I think all the big money knows that. But um, to the other entrepreneurs, it's a big deal. So you had just got funded. Then 2008 happens. You're like, well, I'm funded. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I had a one-year timeline. I had to repay the money with interest, right? So there was like some serious pressure. And, um, you know, as I think back on it, it, because the world came to a halt, and we had no choice. Like we were, you know, we had burned the boats. Like again, I had personal guarantees. There was all kinds of motivators. Um, I had to perform. And uh, a year later, we were paid that uh, million dollars with interest and we had launched Tech for Kids. And, um, you know, we did everything we talked about. We went international. We focused on licensing. We uh, sold stuff FOB direct from Asia instead of having a warehouse. We just, we did all the things that we said were anti-goals. We actually built the business model around that and it became ultimately an infinitely better opportunity than my original distribution company had been. And, you know, the, the point is, is that if I had been successful in the distribution company and I hadn't faced that bankruptcy, I never would have been forced to figure this thing out. So that's why I call it my inconvenient blessing. I would have been stuck in that thing and in an inferior life than I had with that opportunity. And um, look, you're, you've made so many one-liners. I don't know if you prepared all of these, but they're just like, amazing clips i hope the i hope the content team cuts some of these up because you've just really been delivering some heat um but but brad my 12-year amazon journey is very 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 similar amazon started with distribution uh it was distributors putting products online and then mm. it went to private label uh and then it went to amazon fba versus warehouses and drop ship you know they mm. started going straight from china to the warehouses all of the things that you didn't want is like what a successful business really looks like on amazon these days and mm. um, and you haven't even mentioned Amazon. I know it wasn't part of your your thinking. So, um, but I did that same journey in regards to being an agency that works with brands. I went hmm. with the distributors to the private label to the manufacturers themselves, the brands themselves, and went going international. We sold in eleven countries because selling in Amazon Canada is a huge opportunity when Amazon US is super uh, competitive. So, as right. we went there, we started you know winning. And I just I just wanted to relate on that fact because it's yeah. like, the absolute exact strategy. Um, that we've progressed through ourselves. So Tech for Kids, you haven't really explained what that was. Yeah, we were a toy manufacturer developer. We focused on licensing. The first license we actually had was uh, Bakugan and Ben 10, which um, both those brands are still around today. But um, we were making, we had the category of night lights and uh, we had some water toys and some collectibles and a few different things that we created with those products and uh, caught them at a time when, you know, the interesting about the toy business is it does really well in recessions. Like that is 
shockingly, there's, there's a few things that happen during recessions, and depressions, Campbell's soup, lipstick, and toys. <laughs> Those things all do really, really well. And it kind of makes sense because people want simple pleasures. And the toy side is while parents are suffering and maybe not taking their kids to like Disney World and places like that, they still want to be able to deliver some joy and happiness in the form of a toy, right? So that is how come that business has been very resilient during difficult times. And um, yeah, we fortunately, you know, were able to build that business, grow it. Um, kind of a, a, a key inflection point in that business is that we secured the Angry Birds license when that thing was just becoming something significant. And we rode that, it was a rocket ship, you know, took our company from, you know, doing like, I think at that time, 10 to 12 million in revenue to over 60 million in revenue. It was just like this massive growth curve, just riding that one license. But it's also the great fail, frailty of the toy business too. You know, things that grow up fast can also come down fast. And if you're not finding that next hit to replace it, you know, you're left with a, with a giant hole. And if you have operation costs to cover, then it's, it's, it can be problematic. So, um, Look, we wrestled that business uh, into what I would say something that was profitable. And uh, in Canada, we were one of the top toy companies. I mean, not taking anything away from Spin Master, who is by far the biggest and most successful toy company that's ever been in Canada. But relative to who we were, we were doing just fine. But I had this issue is that, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you bring in outside capital, you've agreed at some point in the future, you're going to sell your company. Yeah. They're, they're looking for some sort of exit, some sort some of liquidity. Yeah. yeah. So they, people who put the money in said, Hey, we need to see a return. So I started a process to try and sell a company. And, uh, we had a few term sheets and we got kind of down the, the path. And in both cases that we went to, uh, we had a letter of intent we went to, um, due diligence. We, we walked away from the deals because they just was not the right fit and not the right culture. But then we came to a place where, hey, let's reverse engineer this instead of trying to sell a company. How about do we do a merger with a similar company? And the combined companies will have more operational um, uh, efficiency, more profitability, and we can actually do a private equity roll-up play with this. So it was kind of like re-engineered. Like, so there's different ways to get to an outcome. You don't have to, uh, well, you were saying before about how you optimized your Amazon business by looking at places and being nimble to find other ways of getting into markets through not just the traditional channels. That's kind of how we looked at this from an exit standpoint. And so anyways, we successfully merged our company with a company in Florida, which is why I now have a place in Florida. And um, within 90 days of that merger, I got fired. And, you know, when you co-found a company and you put it into the ether and you actually, by the way, I, I birthed Tech for Kids from, not, from nothing to something of significance. Then I merge it. Then I get fired. It's like, okay, this just happened. And in the moment. Was there upside at all in the merger or, you know, I guess them firing you or like as the co-founder, was there, just curious, was there yeah. like you know, protections in place, I guess, to take care of you? Yeah, look, um, and I unpack this in the book because after years of scarcity, um, and I would say some PTSD over bankruptcies and not having any, like a lot of us entrepreneurs have our net worth on paper. <laughs> it doesn't show up in the bank accounts, right? I was looking for some sort of financial security. And um, so when the deal was coming together, um, the, the deal itself provided freedom. So we knew that it was going to not only get our investors recovered, but it was also going to provide freedom for my family and I. And um, and then ultimately, um, you know, I was blinded by that. I, I talk about it in the book how you know I, I could see that we were headed for a bit of a crash, 
that our cultures, there's no such thing as merger, by the way. There's only acquisition because one culture is going to prevail. And there was a culture clash. Our working styles are different. The way that we operated was different. The way we made decisions and hired people was different. So at the end that of the day- That can even be as simple as saying, you know, being from British Columbia and a company ran out of Florida. Like, you know, not the US is not one culture across the board either, but there's definitely a different culture in Florida than in Missouri, than in Kansas, than in, you know, North Dakota. So, um, you know, that's probably part of it too. Like just- um, you know, being from a place as rural as British Columbia and building a culture there and probably more community and all of those things, I can just imagine um, to, you know, an investor play. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I get it now as I've reflected on it, which again is important lesson. You don't learn from what happens. We learn from stock and reflect on it. As the investors coming in to fund the deal, you have two leaders who are not getting along. You're adding risk in a company and you know, that, that is not, not healthy. And so a decision had to be made and, uh, I don't blame them looking back now at the decision and kind of like similar to the bankruptcy, I look at it as my inconvenient blessing. And I've since come to learn that the best gifts come wrapped in ugly paper because that was a terrible thing in the moment, but it was a gift. It actually freed me up to the marketplace and again, to imagine new possibilities, but this time with newfound freedom in terms of how I could design my life into the future. And so that's ultimately how I landed doing what I'm doing today with both Lomi and Peel a Case in that, you know, I had sort of three principles that I came away from that one with is that, and again, this is on reflecting what I didn't want. <laughs> life plan before business plan, which I never had done before. Cause quite frankly, I paid lip service to all these things that I thought were important. But if you looked at my calendar, it tells the truth. I wasn't really paying attention to the things that truly were important. Second is my no asshole rule, like only awesome people, like, mm -hmm. you know, people who are going to bring out your best. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm stuck by that pretty, pretty consistently, you know, uh, focus on things that I really want to, with people that I, that I like with, uh, only on things that matter. So that was the third is impact. Um, none of what I hate, less of what I tolerate and only what I love. That was basically what impact was for me. And so I spent some time getting clear on the opportunities. Um, and then Pila was uh, a business launcher by my co-founder, Jeremy. And uh, he had the idea, but didn't know how to tell a story. Matt Bertulli, who's my other co-founder, he was a great storyteller, but didn't know how to make things. And then I came in as a, a maker. So it was kind of like a perfect um, marriage of, of different talents and skills. And, um, and that, of course, um, allowed us to then launch Lomi, which is the world's first uh, electronic kitchen composter that turns organic waste into nutrient-rich dirt uh, at the push of a button. And it's a super cool technology that actually is the most, uh, we think, the most democ democratized way that we can positively impact climate change. I love that, Brad. Um, that's incredible, number one. And I love um, you know, what impact looked like for you. I think I could resonate with all of those things. Um, I've built nothing's perfect, but I definitely have lived my life by the things, by defining it, by the things that I don't like or I don't want. Uh, hmm. And the only way you know that is by trying a lot of shit. You got to try yeah. a lot of things to know what you don't like. And um, I couldn't help but compare, like, you know, you're talking about an inconvenience, uh, inconvenient blessing. Uh, hmm. It almost sounds like, you know, that relationship that you can't let go, that you're, you're in this relationship, you've got so much into it. Um, you know, you're, you're 
kind of just invested. You're just seeing that. You think you're doing the right thing. You think your calendar is invested in the right things. You think you're focusing on the right things. And, um, you know, she cheats on you or she breaks up with you when you probably wouldn't have ever broken up. And, mm. um, you know, you find yourself kind of spinning or spiraling or trying to figure things out. And, you know, the next blessing comes along and you're like, wow, I can't even believe that's how I was living my life. Um, you know, and now here I am in this, uh, it, this, it was inconvenient, but now I'm feeling blessed. Um, I like, you know, business to me and relationships are kind of go hand in hand because when you're an entrepreneur, this is your life, you know, totally. it's all encompassing. Um, I work with my best friends. Uh, I work with my sisters. They, they left their careers to come help me build this when I was hmm. just getting started. And, uh, I definitely am, we're doing things that we love and, uh, you know, fired a client three weeks ago, not something <laughs> normal. Good for you. No asshole rule. You know, I have mm-hmm. no asshole rule that I take very seriously yep. in a time when we need clients, but mm-hmm. There's simply like, you know, there's something in the universe that, um, you know, the more you have around you, the more you have that, you're tolerating it, you're putting up with it, the easier it gets to do that again and again and again. And, um, you know, life is short. So um, I want to spend, I'm going to do give one more sponsor spot and I want to spend the next 10 minutes talking about the book, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, sure. Because I think, I think um, it could, it could help a lot of entrepreneurs just, I haven't read it myself, but just reading um, kind of what you put in there in the bio, it seems like uh, an amazing book. Uh, shout again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit Fullscale.io. We can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what available testers, developers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Okay, so talk to me about the book. You've got two companies. Um, we don't really have time to go into all, everything that you know they're doing. Um, we'll have links in the notes if people want to check those out and learn more about um you know um the waste compactor turning into dirt i honestly feel like i need one now um you know uh but let's talk about the book kind of the purpose for it and and you know why you wrote it yeah no thanks i appreciate uh this because you know it's it's been a labor of love over the last three years and uh the truth is i really didn't want to write a book um kind of twofold number one it seemed like a very daunting task um, as an entrepreneur, I know that I'm really good at starting things and finishing things. The messy middle is where I suck. And, uh, the idea of you know, writing a book and having to do all that time in the middle seemed really, really scary. And secondly, I just kind of thought that the world was already pretty noisy. Um, why does another voice need to be, uh, put into the conversation? So kind of where I landed was this, is that our, our, our brains, our minds are really good at coming up with creativity and ideas, but they're not really good at retaining information. We have like very leaky minds and we have a lot of recency bias. If you try and recall what happened, you know, last week or last month, it's, it's kind of crazy that, you know, you can get to kind of the highlight reel, but it's hard to kind of get to the depth. Um, and so I felt like the most important thing is I needed to capture some of the 30 years of being in the toy business because I've had some pretty crazy things happen during my time. And, um, and I thought it'd be helpful to create a memoir. So I started writing the memoir, unpacking some of the, the ideas and lessons. And then some of my inner circle, you know, said, Hey, um, do you mind sharing with me a couple of chapters? So I did. And the feedback I got is that if I didn't release it to the wild, it would be selfish, that there was a bunch of wisdom from my wounds that would be very helpful to other founders who are on a journey and trying to create something from nothing, ex nihilo, which is the Latin word for that. And, um, that there's all kinds of benefits here. And, you know, I tell people this is not a what to do book. It's a what not to do, to do book. Um, 
because while I didn't get a MBA from a university, I have a PhD and DUMB from the School of Hard Knocks. I have done all of the things wrong, or maybe not all of them, but a lot of the things wrong. And uh, I found out the hard way of what not to do. And, um, you know, kind of the unexpected great uh, from going through the process of writing the book was just the healing process and, um, and forgiveness that was mostly for myself, quite frankly. I, I, there was moments I was writing um, and I'd be in tears. And I, I've since come to learn that it's, um, it's called narrative therapy and it's a cathartic way to like process and to close loops and connect things and ideas. So I assure you that while the book is released into the wild, and I think it will be a benefit to some people out there who want to learn a bunch of wisdom, because there's two different ways you can learn life, knowledge, your own mistakes, wisdom from the mistakes of others. Um, so the people are going to benefit from that. I am the greatest benefactor because I went through an incredible amount of just resolving things. And um, and the structure of the book is this. It's, you know, Startup Santa, Toy Maker's Tale of 10 Business Lessons Learned from Timeless Toys. So as the Subtitle teases out, there are iconic toys you would know, like G.I. Joe's, Monopoly, Jenga, Agent Sketch. Um, play is about three things. It's about problem solving. It's about social interactions, and it's about releasing creativity. That's what happens when you're playing, and toys are a facilitator of helping do that. So I tell, what is the, the history of the toy, and also what is it doing in those three areas? And then I tell a story from my own personal journey, usually a, a story of where I screwed up or made a mistake or have some sort of, you know, calamity in business, like going bankrupt, and then unpack the lessons and tie it into the story. So it's it's a fun way to kind of go through the journey and getting, you know, this tie in with the toys. And um, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be for people who are, there's two, two targets. Number one is a young founder starting out who's looking for some inspiration Number two is a founder who's maybe a little long in the tooth and maybe is feeling a little battle weary and um, maybe needs some inspiration. I think this is going to be helping just pump you with hope because I, I believe that that's what we all need in order to bring out our best for uh, a future that we can be our best and brightest versions of self. I love it. I think, uh, I wish I could remember the quote, um, but it just talks about, um, you know, with knowledge, uh, I guess mentorship, it's a mentorship quote or a knowledge quote, but it's like, it's definitely, um, it's something that if you hold on to it, right, it's like poison almost. Like it, your duty when you learn and you get gain mm -hmm. knowledge is to share that with others. And I think in doing so, in the process of that, um, you know, it, it's just, um, well, besides duty, it's just like the universe rewards that, you know, the universe really rewards that. And it can seem, oh, is this ego, me sharing my stories? Is this, you know, I just feel like I need to be understood, this desire to be understood. And I, I think it's it's different than that. It's something I always struggled with. I think it really is, um, you know, it, it's for others. And it's something that we can give back with what we've learned. What what else are we doing on this earth if not to make it better um, for, for the people coming after us? I think that's the point of your, your, your business that you've made um, with the organic waste and trying to make the planet mm -hmm. better. But then also, you know, in touching this, have impact, have impact in everything you're touching. Um, absolutely amazing. So where, where can people find the book? I'm assuming it's on Amazon. Yeah, they, um, they can go to startupsantabook.com. Um, and we have links to, first of all, you can download the first chapter for free. I okay. want to give you a flavor for the book. And, and also we put some tools in there. Like we have a chapter summary, some follow-up videos, uh, with one of my spiritual mentors, a guy by the name of BJ, super cool guy. So I think you will get, hopefully get some value from that. Um, 
But look, I just want to actually riff on what you just said, because I think this is something, I think it's a great metaphor for it. And um, it's kind of pertaining to the moment, knowing that there's a conflict going on in Israel and the Middle East right now, but there's two bodies of water that are notable there, uh, the, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And the difference between the two is that the Dead Sea doesn't actually give off any water. It's a sea that is self-enclosed. And as a result, there's no life. Whereas the Sea of Galilee is teeming with fish and life. And the difference is it actually is giving its water into other bodies. And so I think it's a great metaphor for, as as what you just said so eloquently about the importance of you know, having the courage to actually step into the unknown and try and see how your small impact could potentially be the butterfly effect that can make a massive difference in someone else's life. And look, at we're not on this planet that long, right? 25,500 days is the average lifespan. That's not a lot of time. And you're going to spend you know, a good half of that or a third of it anyway sleeping. <laughs> so um, it's, it's a brief sort of, you know, it sounds trite to say it, but it's like a candle in the wind. It's a flicker of time. But wouldn't it be great to know that what you did today actually could make an impact a generation or two from now? And with Lomi and what we're trying to do with Peel Case, that is our hope is that, you know, my kids are, are arrows in my quiver that are being shot into a future that I never will see. And I hope that the impact we make is that for their kids' kids, which are arrows that will go way into a future I'll never see, that they'll have noticed the impact of that decision and that there will be lasting eternity. It may or may not. Don't know. I mean, maybe it's hubris to even think that. But my hope is, is that do the work today, that that might be possible. No, I love that. And I think something that just popped into my head was too was um this legacy that your family has of being a chiropractor and hmm. um that 100 is something that's giving back to people and serving others um you know and you just found a kind of different way of doing that but i think that that's kind of if you talk about anything being nature versus nurture i think that's kind of what was passed down and and what you do with that can you know can be up to you and choose to do that but for me um i actually just got off a call supporting some sellers um on the other side of the pond that are just like really struggling during these times and um you know just offering my support however i can I, you know this community this is, it's an international community but it's actually pretty small in the amazon mm. e-commerce world and um you know i found that like a lot of times when i don't know what to do or i'm struggling with something personally like i've been attacked or i'm hurting or i'm shame feeling shame or any of these things um i always lean into just like the same thing that I feel like I'm needing or I'm struggling with, I'm going to try to help somebody else. Mm. And uh, not because I'm the most qualified, but it just feels right for me. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm struggling about cash flow or money or something, you know, finances, I'm trying to give. Like, I, I know it might sound kind of contradictory to some people, but for me, it's like whatever the thing is that I'm holding on to or obsessing about or hurting about or whatever, I try to... Um, ease that pain somewhere else if I can for somebody else. And in doing so, sometimes I find my answers. I love that. And good for you and uh, for discovering that most people don't understand it. Like if you want more love in your life, you first need to give love in your life. If you want more results, you first need to give, lean into the results. Like the law of reciprocity, it's universal. Um, and it starts with you having the courage to lean in first. And the surprising thing is, is, you know, um, you know, so many people these days are so, um, governed by the way they feel. And there's like, we live in this society of easy offense and easy feelings and all that kind of stuff that, that dictate the way we operate our life. And I've come to learn that, you know, that initial feeling you have is what it is, but you get to control 
ultimately lands on you by what you do. You know, as an example, I, I, fitness is a part of my life. I, I, I'm just every day I've got to sweat and I can't think of once where I really wanted to go to the gym because I know it's painful, but on the other side of working out, I just feel better. So I bet you on the other side of you leaning into the pain of your industry going through a challenging moment and you're leaning in to support and provide words of encouragement and guidance, you're going to be the benefactor of that. They benefited for sure, but you gave yourself the boost you needed that gives you the confidence and courage to go do more of what you need to do to become world-class at what you are focused on. Brilliant. We're out of time. I feel like we could keep jamming all day, but I know this is also, I think, your third podcast of the day. So I really appreciate <laughs> you bringing 100% of yourself to the show and to our listeners. Um, it's been awesome, Brad. I feel like we're kindred spirits. Shout out again to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Um, they have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit Fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders at Fullscale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Brad, we'll have all of your all of your notes and links to your your businesses, the book, in the show notes for anybody that's listening or tuning in, so you guys can find where to find him, follow along in his journey. Um, I'm going to pick up a copy of the book uh, and definitely um, am excited to read it. I I lived, um, I traveled the world, and you know, in Africa, I grew up in Africa, and I just had GI Joes. That was the only toy I bring. Um, you know, can't, you couldn't really buy toys there and, and GI Joe's aren't that big. So they're not in collectible boxes. Um, but they've been, you know, I still have them actually somewhere, Nice. Uh, but they've been around the world with me. So I'm just excited to dig into that. Um, the Melissa and Doug sell, I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah. That happened, I think over the weekend or something, but it's a big deal. 150 million for puzzles, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> big business out there that was just one that i used to sell as a distributor that i saw and kind of piqued my interest and i had to read into it a little bit but wow what an exit at a time like these you know yeah um, and then there's the barbie movie right there's been a lot of influence with toys in the last so <laughs> recent month whether well, you like the barbie or not like that marketing team incredible that. they absolutely yeah. crushed that i think I saw more pink than I've ever seen in my life. So, uh. <laughs> Well, you'll be happy to know that G.I. Joe's is chapter one. There is no Barbie in the book. I do mention it, but only to the reference. Actually, the G.I. Joe ch chapter is the only reference, I think, to Barbies. So it's chapter one. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Brad. Thank you, listeners, for being in. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.